Okay, good morning. We're up to part three of our review series, and we're going to be reviewing some uh, laws and customs of the Seder night. A um, couple of things before we get to the actual Seder night, a couple of things which maybe I should have mentioned last week, just to, to, to touch up. I may have forgot, uh, forgotten. So the minhag is that on the Seder night, we don't have anything, any meat roasted because we don't we want to stay far away from anything that can resemble having a carbon Pesach. Now, even though carbon Pesach has to be a lamb, but any we, the, 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 we refrain from anything roasted that has to be shechted. So you could have roasted fish, but no roasted chicken, for example, even though obviously chicken camp is not meat and can't be eaten in poultry. Do with and, uh, and not only do we refrain from roasting it, but we refrain from what's called tzli kedar, which means that you don't cook it Plain, you know, the, often you can prepare chicken or even meat with no, with no, with no water added. Just you let it on a low flame and you let it sort of cook in its own juice. We don't do that. We make sure to add at least some water to the mix. Um, make sure to have a haircut before yamtif. That's just uh, important thing. Um, it's important to go for men. It's important to go to mikveh before the Shalash Shagalim, before Yamtif. Um, if you can go on Shabbos, that's certainly preferable. If not, then go on Friday. Um, that's a, a more important than every a regular Shabbos. There's a mitzvah to be pure, to be tahir on the on Yamtif. Another thing which I forgot to mention last week was that we spoke about not having sharp hot chametz, and according to some customs, hot anything for 24 hours before you, quote, kosher your fillings or whatever other implants you have in your mouth. Um, the same applies to anything sharp. So what actually in other years, it's more relevant than this year is because usually within that 24 hour span, if you're a bechayr, you're going to be participating in a CM where somebody might give you some whiskey, which is chametz. So no whiskey. This year it's not such a big deal because you could have the fastest on Thursday morning until any time before Shabbos, so that doesn't overlap. Another thing is the on on this Shabbos, it's both Shabbos Haggadah and it's Erev Pesach. So after Mincha, we have to recite the Haggadah like we do every year on Shabbos Haggadah. We say the section of the Haggadah that's printed in the Siddur. And we also say the Seder Karm Pesach, which we discussed a few weeks ago. Now, I, initially, the order of events is Mincha, then the Haggadah, and then Seder Karm Pesach. But it's really important, like we mentioned last time, to finish Seder Karm Pesach before Shkia, so before sunset. So if time's running out for sunset, say the Seder Karm Pesach first, and then afterwards resume reciting of the Haggadah. Uh, another important thing is matzah on Erev Pesach. We know that the uh, Chabad custom is not to eat matzah at all from Purim, but halachically, it's forbidden to have any matzah on Erev Pesach. Um, but also Erev Pesach is a long day where there isn't so much food around. So what do you do with kids? So the truth is that um, and until uh, until the time for the eating chametz, which is at 10.45 or 10.55 or something like that, you can, there's no reason not to have kosher Pesach snacks that are kidneyous. So you wouldn't give the kids rice cakes and, and, and bamba on Pesach, but there's no reason not to have them in the house. And then on, on Shabbos morning and even on Friday afternoon, you can give them that. 
um, once it's the time, so then you should only give your kids things the, that are kosher Pesach. So, and the Chabad custom is that even kidneys and gebroks we don't give to, to children. Um, but, so what about giving them matzah? Can you give your child matzah on Erev Pesach? So it depends if the child is old enough to understand what's going on at the Seder. If the child is old enough to understand the Sipriyotis Mitzrayim, the story of the Exodus, so then you should not give him matzah on Erev Pesach. But a younger child, and I don't know if the age is two or three, but certainly a, a child under the age of two or three um, can give them matzah on Erev Pesach without any uh, limitations. I'm going to mute everybody over here, but feel free to unmute yourself if you would like to ask a question. Okay. So you can't if if it's if it's kids that are old enough. Okay, so there's many halachas that we do in order because we want the kids to be up for the seders and we make sure they sleep and we make sure to go home straight after Mairiv and as much as possible to prepare all the things for the seder before Shabbos, um, etc. So, what? Yeah, so you send you can put your kids, to, that's the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the. Once the kids are here, the chinuch, once they're able to understand something about sipping Yitzvah Mitzrayim, you're supposed to do everything you can to make sure they stay up for it. So you put them to sleep on Shabbos afternoon from 5 to 8. And then they get up at 8 o'clock and, and start the night. And uh, yeah, that's the mitzvah of sipping Yitzvah Mitzrayim. Um, tell them that it's for, uh, what? So we spoke about that last week. We said, for, it's not to, to, said to say that you're going to sleep in order to stay up for the Seder, if possible to avoid it, you should, but it's not because going to sleep for the Seder, going, doing a Seder is something which is permissible. You can't say I'm going to sleep so I should have Kayach to drive tonight because driving is something you're not allowed to do on Shabbos. But to say I'm going to sleep to have Kayach to stay up for the Seder, we avoid it, but if that's what's necessary to get your kids to sleep, then that's okay. It's certainly better than four cups of wine they can have whenever they want. But you shouldn't. Once a kid is able to understand the notion of Sipri Yitzchus Mitzrayim, then the Isser of Eichel Matzah Ber Pesach Kibbeil Arasasi Bebeis Chomiv applies to children as well. Okay. Um, we've mentioned a number of times. Halal, Minik Chabad is that we say halal with the bracha before the seder, and sure we say it after marriage. That is obligatory for women as well. So it's sometimes tough, especially this year, where there's a rush after Shabbos goes out to prepare everything for the seder. But women should say halal with the bracha. It doesn't need to take more than a few minutes, but they should say halal with the bracha before the seder on both nights of Pesach. Um, okay. In Shulchan Aruch, it's mentioned to put beautiful um, utensils on the table. I haven't seen that it, that is practiced in, in in actuality that we people do that. Um, so that's not uh, you know people put uh, if you want to put jewelry or things on the table as long as everything is clean and properly kosher for Pesach. Okay, one of the mitzvahs of the Seder night is to recline. This mitzvah in practice is only done by men. If women want to do it, they may do it, but um, and the, the obligation to, to recline is for men. Now, even though all the mitzvahs of the Seder night apply equally to men as they do to women, to women as they do to men, but reclining is an exception. The exact mechanics of why it's an exception is beyond the scope of right now. 
Um, but just a couple things to note about Hasei. But the reason why there's a mitzvah to recline is because it's a mitzvah to do all the everything we do on that night in a mode of experiencing the freedom. And so because in the days of yore, um, um, the aristocracy would eat in such a way of reclining, so that's why we do it. So first of all, important to note that there's no mitzvah to lean. If you go like this, you have not fulfilled the obligation of um, reclining. The mitzvah is to lean onto something. Ideally, you have an armchair or another chair next to you. Ideally, you should have a pillow. It's brought to have pillow. We mentioned yesterday the Rebbe would have a chair next to him with two pillows on it and lean all the way, sort of almost lying down flat. Um, onto those pillows, um, but you must lean onto something, and I believe the Gemara, it says that if you have nothing to lean onto, then at the very least lean onto the onto, onto the person sitting next to you. So make sure you have something to lean onto. Um, that's as far as men are concerned. As far as women are concerned, even though they are not obligated to recline, they are obligated to eat the matzah and the four cups of wine in a way of derecherus, which mean, which mean again, in the way of aristocracy. So even though they don't recline, but they must be sitting down. You can't, if, the, if there's a baby crying and you need to rock the stroller or whatever it is, then take a break, go and do it. While you're doing the mitzvah of eating the matzah and the kerech and the four cups of wine, um, she should be sitting down. Okay, let's go through some of the things on the Seder plate. So first of all, you have the Zroya. Now the Zroya, so, so we need to have, the, the halacha is that you need to have two cooked items on the Seder plate corresponding to the carbon Pesach and the carbon Chagiga, two, two carbonus. The main one was the carbon Pesach, that's the obligation to bring every year, and the carbon Chagiga, which was additional sacrifice. In, in practice, our minute is to fulfill that obligation by having a piece of meat for the Zerah, which we call the Zraya, and the Chabad custom is to have a roasted chicken bone. And for the for the Chagiga, we have an egg, and it's brought because Beitza, we call Beya, which is the which is the same root as that Aramaic word um, to want, that we want Hashem to redeem us, or that Hashem wants to redeem us, or something along those lines. Um, now, a few things to take note of. Um, the, the the neck has to be, even though you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, one second, so we, we're very careful, like I mentioned before, not to eat anything roasted on Pesach, on the night, on the Seder night. So that's why the, the neck has to be roasted before Yom Tov, because even though you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, you're only allowed to cook something which you're going to eat on that day. So if you're going to, let's say, roast something or cook something on Saturday night, you have to eat it either on Saturday night or on Sunday before sundown. That's called that day. Now, because we're careful not we're careful not to eat the zrayaps because we don't want to eat anything roasted and we don't want to eat anything that might look like we're eating the carbon pesach. So roast the, what you need to do is roast the neck before Yom Tif, before pesach. If you forgot to do it, so then you have two options: either you could roast the neck on Saturday night, and you can't eat it on Saturday night, but make sure that you eat it on Sunday. on Because on, on Sunday by day, you're allowed to eat it and you must eat it because you're only allowed to cook something that you're going to eat. Um, alternatively, just take any cooked piece of meat, a piece of chicken, a piece of meat, anything cooked, not roasted, and use that as your zraya. That's also fine. And then, um, and, and then, yeah, and then you don't need to eat it unless, unless you cooked it on the day. If you cook it on the day, you have to eat it. Now, in further... Um, being careful about not having anything appear to be like the carbon Pesach, we 
remove almost all the meat from the bone that we roast. But we don't remove all the meat because if you remove all the meat, then that's not a cooked item, that's a bone. You need to have cooked meat. So we take the chicken neck, we roast it, and we remove most of the meat from it, but not all of the meat. Um, for the egg, so first of all, we're careful not to eat eggs that have been left without a shell overnight. So even though you're going to cook all your eggs, hopefully before Shabbos, you don't actually remove the shell until the Seder night. Some people remove the shell before they put it onto the plate. The Rebbe would leave it with the shell on the plate and only remove the shell when it was time to eat it. Um, but 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 either way, don't remove the shell before Shabbos. Some places, I haven't seen that in America, but I have seen it in, in, in Europe, and maybe it's in some cities in America also, you have lettering on the shells. So um, then you, that can become a problem. The best is if you remove the part of the shell that has the lettering before Shabbos and leave the rest of the shell on um, and do that afterwards. Now, the truth is that really this year, um, we shouldn't have an egg on the Seder plate for the first Seder night because when Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos, they only brought the carbon Pesach. They didn't bring the additional carbon Chagiga. But nevertheless, the minag is that we do. And as the Al-Tanabbi says in Shulchan Aruch, and I'll read this to you from English, it's from Tafayin Gimel, Sif Chav Gimel, that's chapter 473, Sif 23. When Pesach falls on Saturday night, it is nevertheless customary to necessary um, to bring two cooked foods, one commemorating the Pesach sacrifice and one commemorating the Chagiga. True that in the era of the Beis Amikdash, the Chagiga offering was not eaten on, eaten on that night, for it is impossible to slaughter it and offer it on Shabbos. It is also impossible to do, to do it on Friday because such a sacrifice may only be eaten for two days and one night. So basically the time would be expired when it came to the same night. However, since these foods are only brought to the table as a commemoration, there is no concern that one might think that it is the actual Chagiga offering um, that was not permitted to be eaten on this night. And on the contrary, one who is careful about this makes it appear that these foods are being regarded like actual sacrifices. So if you say, oh, this year I'm not going to have an egg on my Seder plate, then it would give off the impression that you're actually making, the egg is actually some kind of sacrifice. So therefore, even on this year, we do have an egg on the Seder plate. Um, the salt water should be made before Shabbos. If you didn't make it on before Shabbos, then you can make it on Yom Tif. Uh, if you if if when well, the night falls on Friday, then it's another chance. But if, if if you didn't make the salt water before Shabbos, you can make it on Yom Tif. Um, some say you should make it with the shinoi. So I guess you would put in uh, the water first, and I don't know which way is the shinoi. What do you usually do? Salt, and then whatever you would usually do, do do the opposite, and only make a little bit. Don't make it too salty. Uh, only make a little bit what you need for the seder. So that was for Shabbos. Um, okay, for. Marer and Chazar, we have two Marers. We have the Marer that we use for Marer and the Marer that we use as part of the Kairich sandwich. Um, maybe here's a good time to explain why we have the matzah, the Marer, and the and the sandwich. So when it comes to that part of the Seder, we're going to first eat matzah, a kazayas of matzah, then you eat a kazayas of Marer, and then you eat a comb combination of Kairich, which is matzah and Marer together. And uh, those who witnessed the Rebbe doing the Seder said that the Rebbe tried that every bite of kairich should have a piece of lettuce and a piece of uh, matzah. So why do we do all that? So there is a machlekes between, I think I even book, bookmarked this for myself. Um, boom, boom. There is a machlekes, here we go. There is a machlekes if how to have matzah and marer. One second. In the time of the Beis Hamikdash, 
In the time of the base of Mikdash, the question is, do you have matzah together? Uh, do you have matzah and then marer? Or do you have matzah and marer together? It's called Hillel. Hillel held, you have to have it together. That's on the sandwich we say, Kain also Hillel. This is what Hillel did. And then this, his colleagues disagree, um, said, disagreed with Hillel. They said, no, you have them separate. Now, because it says, since the halacha was not unequivocally determined, neither according to Hillel nor according to the sages who differed with him, so to satisfy both opinions, you have to do both. Now, if you were just going to... So here, here's, the, here's the problem. Whenever you eat two things, we say the... If I'm going to eat something which is a mitzvah to eat and something which is an optional thing to eat, then the optional one cancels out the taste of the mitzvah. You can't mix mitzvah and optional. So, nowadays, the mitzvah to eat matzah is a biblical mitzvah. The mitzvah to eat marah is a rabbinic mitzvah because the biblical mitzvah to eat marah is only to eat marah together with the carbon Pesach. So, on a biblical level, there's no obligation to eat marah nowadays. The obligation of the Mara nowadays is a rabbinic mitzvah to commemorate it. So when you're looking at matzah and Mara from the perspective of biblical obligation, the matzah is, is obligatory and the Mara is optional. So if so according to every, even according to, according to everyone, nowadays you have to eat matzah first plate. Because if you eat matzah mixed with Mara nowadays, then the Mara cancels out the taste of the matzah. The Mara is relative to the matzah optional, the mara cancels out the taste of the matzah. Okay, then you've had your matzah. So now what are you going to do? You have to have mara. How do you have mara? Do you have it plain or do you have it mixed with matzah? Now, according to, to Hillel, the mitzvah of mara, why do we have mara nowadays? To commemorate how we did it then. How did we do it then? Mixed with the matzah. So you have to have mara mixed with matzah. According to the sages who disagree with Hillel, there's no obligation to have matzah with the marer anymore. So now your marer is obligatory and your matzah is optional. So if you have just matzah and then the sandwich, you've done the obligation according to Hill, but you haven't done the obligation according to the sages. So therefore, in order to do to, to, to fulfill the obligation according to everyone, we first have matzah, then we have marer, and then we have um, the, the mixture of both. So that's why we, we need to do all of that. Now, just to clarify, yes. Is that the one with the apples and the cinnamon in it? No, that's charoises. Mar is, we're going to get to charoises. Mar is the lettuce. Now, it's customary to use lettuce and grain, lettuce and horseradish. However, the primary mitzvah is to have the lettuce. You should have a kazayas of lettuce. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about how much a kazayas is. Um, but what's important to understand is that a kazayas an olive's bulk is a, vo a volume measurement, not a weight measurement. Um, now, so what happens to be happens to be um, okay. So how much is an olive's bulk? So we, we, we there's different sizes. And the olives comes in different sizes. So when it comes to a biblical mitzvah, we say that an olive's an olive is two thirds of the size of an egg. Sorry, half a size of an egg. Half. For the rice, we say it's half a size of an egg. And when it comes to rabbinic mitzvah, we're a little bit more lenient, and we say that an olive is just around the third the size of an egg. Now, half the size of an egg is calculated at 28 cubic centimeters. Now, if you, if you have water, 28 cubic centimeters is 
28 milliliters, or 20, sorry, it's 28 grams, right? The weight and the volume of water, if you're using grams, matches up. Lettuce is the same, meaning the stalk of the lettuce is heavier than water, and the green of the lettuce is lighter than water. But the two combined, if you have a regular piece of lettuce, which is, so it comes out by those who have measured these things, that the volume to weight ratio of lettuce is the same as the volume to, 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 uh, of water. So you need to have, now, Mara nowadays is a Darabonon, so we could have the smaller olive, which is, um, what, 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 how many cubic uh, centimeters is it? I forget the exact number, but basically one big leaf of lettuce, including the stalk and the green, is certainly a kazayas. One big leaf or two medium leaves is certainly enough and probably more than enough. The Rebbe's custom was to break off the bottom part of the leaf, the part that's closest to the stalk, the Rebbe would break off. Now, the custom is also to add chrein. It's Technically speaking, halakhically, there's no obligation to have chrein, and if you just have lettuce, that's good enough. Um, but the custom is to add chrein. The rabbi's custom was actually to have grated up chrein, um, which you would sort of squeeze into a ball and put it inside the lettuce and wrap it up, and also add just one or two cut pieces of, of the horseradish into, into, into the mixture. Now, those who describe the Rebbe say they describe how the Rebbe used to cough and cry and was very um, intense. However, it's also, on the flip side, it's also mentioned, it's also brought down that if the murder is so sharp that you can't, um, that it's not edible, then you don't fulfill the obligation because the mitzvah is to eat murder, not to choke murder, right? So it has to be at a, at a level that it's edible. Um, the Rebbe was not careful. Some the Rebbe did not have keep the Mara in a closed jar, jar to retain its strength. The, Rebbe, the Rebbe's Mara was left in an open jar. Although I did see many say that this year you should keep it in a closed jar because you're going to grade it a whole more than 24 hours earlier. So if you leave it open, it'll lose any of its sharpness at all. So it seems that the custom is to do to add some crane in order to have some level of sharpness or bitterness. Nowadays, romaine lettuce is not very sharp. Um, it's, in fact, sometimes it's the even a little bit sweet. The Rebbe had grated and added a piece or two. Um, one piece is huge. What? One piece of lettuce is pretty large. If you, well, it's very thin also. If you put it into- the base of it. I mean, if you have a little bit of the base, it already fills up like a shot glass. I, I remember from, I haven't read these this year, but I remember, you could go and do the measurements, go and take a, a, a leaf of lettuce, you could weigh it, and then you have maybe maybe half a leaf is enough. But I'm not it's telling you to go and stuff like five or ten, you know, have, have a little bit extra just to make sure, but no uh, major thing. Okay. Um, Okay, soon we'll get to how much matzah you have to eat, but I'm just sort of going in this order because this is at the beginning of your Seder when you set up the Seder plate. So how much marrow are you putting? So you take a big leaf of lettuce, put some chayin on the inside, wrap it up, put it on the middle. That's certainly good. Now the charesas. So there's a number of... Um, so, so first, you know what we'll do is first I'll read to you the description on Shulchan Aruch of, and I'll tell you of what Haroises has to look like, and then I'll tell you what, in fact, the practice is. The Haroises must be thick because it commemorates the mortar with which our ancestors were compelled to work. Uh, this is from Tafayin Gimel, that's chapter 473, C. Flamand, base 32. 
Afterwards, it must be softened with liquid in remembrance of the blood. Chareisha should be softened with a red liquid like vinegar or, wine, or red wine. The chareisha should be made from fruits that are used as metaphors for the Jewish people. For example, figs. As it is written, the fig tree has sprouted its buds. Nuts. As it is written, I descended to the nut garden. Dates. As it is written, the Jewish people compare to dates. Uh, pomegranates. Apples. Uh, the apples recalling the verse beneath the apple tree, I aroused you. For in Egypt, the Jewish women would give birth to their children beneath the apple trees. I don't know why it says give birth to the children, the Gemara and Takasa Putapur. Ah, here it's without Sarah. The world also talks about how they would conceive under the apple trees and almonds, etc. So there's lots of different ingredients that have to go in there. Then it says, according to the fundamental of halacha, it may even be made from vegetables. Anyway, you're supposed to put in spices, you should put in cinnamon and ginger, um, etc. etc. Okay, in practice, m- many of these things it's custom not to do, cinnamon and ginger, especially because. Once upon a time, cinnamon and ginger actually were found to have been manufactured or whatever together with hummus, and so it sort of became the custom not to use them. And even though the reason doesn't apply, um, somehow when it comes to Pesach, we stick to, the, to these things. In practice, Chabad Minhag is to make haresis out of three ingredients, apples, pears, and nuts, and that's it. Now, but there's two things that we need to be careful with. First of all, it says that the charoises has to be sharp. It has to have a sharpness to it. So in order to accomplish to the taste, now even though we don't eat the charoises, but if you were to taste it, you have to taste some sharpness to it. So in order to accomplish that, you have to use Granny Smith apples. If you use red apples or pink apples, which are sweet, then there's nothing sharp to it. So it should be sour apples. We're going to see later, we're going to add the wine. Maybe you could say that the wine is a sharpness, but I'm not sure about that. So certainly the apples you use for the charesa should be uh, um, apples that have some sharpness to it. Now, the charesa has to start off in a thick texture that resembles the cement, the mortar. So you want to take um, a little bit of apple, a little bit of pear, and a lot of nuts, and mix it together in your in your food processor in a way that it comes out into a thick as much as possible into a thick paste. And um, those who describe the Rebbe say to describe how the Rebbe actually made it into a ball and it retained that shape of a ball. It wasn't in a, on a plate or anything. It was a thick, a very thick paste. Now, if you make haroises from all the ingredients that it says in Jokhanaro, dates and all that stuff, it's very easy to make it. Thing. I mean, if you buy, if you look in the store, the haroises that you can buy, I mean, it, it's like a very thick jam, right? But we are only using those three ingredients, so you have to sort of play around with it to try and get as much as possible a thick texture. Now, then we also have to make it into a liquidy texture, which resembles blood, which is what we do later on, where we add um, red wine to it. Um, Okay. So, the way we add wine to it is... um, Okay, we'll, we'll get it. Let's try and go more in order. So we're talking here about all the things that go on the Seder plate to set it up. So there's no wine in the Chareses yet, right? Now, Karpas. Karpas has to be a vegetable. Um, later, the Chabad custom ideally is to use an onion, a raw onion. Um, there is some allowance to use potato, but we discourage that. Um, for a number of reasons. One reason is because the Alter Rebbe says that karpas has to be something which, on which the bracha is hadama when you eat it raw, and potatoes 
would not be hadam if you ate them raw because they're not very edible when you eat them raw. So if you're able to stomach a small, and it's a small piece, we're not having a big... That's the whole reason why, that's the reason why Amenag is to have onion is because the shit of the Alter Rebbe, that raw onions are hadama. Some people like to be, say they're better to have like a purple onion or some onion that's less sharp, that it's more common. But the truth is that people do sometimes, even a regular white onion, um, people do sometimes put small pieces of it into a salad and they're eaten raw. And so you can make a hadama on it. Um, so if you can stomach an onion, that's better. The truth is it can be any vegetable. Some people have a custom to use celery. It doesn't really matter all that much. Um, but anyway, so the carpas is a thing. Now, we only eat a small piece of carpas. Uh, the rabbi's personal custom was to actually put a whole onion on his seder plate. And then when he came to carpas, he would cut it in half, take a small piece and leave the rest on the side. But that's not necessary. You can just have a small piece of onion on your seder plate. That's totally fine. Okay. Um, Starting the actual Seder, so the first thing is Kiddush. Um, we mentioned in the past that the custom is usually for everyone to say all the words of the Kiddush together. Everyone holds a cup and says it together. But if some people at the table are not fluent in Hebrew, then it's best if one person who is fluent in Hebrew says it loud and everybody else does not say the words and just holds the cup and listens to that person saying it. We mentioned last week the women who have lit candles and already said Shechayonu when they lit the candles should not say Shechayonu again during Kiddush. We mentioned last week when you say Shechayonu, you should have in mind Shechayonu also pertains to the mitzvah that I did 48 hours ago, namely searching for chametz and burning the chametz. Um, the women, even though they don't say Shechayonu, if they've already said Shechayonu when they lit candles, they may say Amen on the husband's or on the man's shachiyono, that omen is not considered an interruption. Um, and yes, with, uh, with um, we don't add any wine. We don't drink any wine between Kiddush and the second cup, or the second, after the second cup of wine, then we have matzah and go into the meal. But if you are thirsty, you can have water during the, the actual Haggadah. Um, and uh, you don't need to say a bracha on the water, because when you said Haggafen and Kiddush, Haggafen um, covers not just the wine, but it covers the water that you you might drink later as well. Now, how much is a Revius? So the basic amount for Revius is just, just a drop less than three ounces, 87 uh, milliliters. Um, yeah, milliliters or centiliters? Okay. Um, however, there is a recording of, a, a, of something from the Tzamech Tzedek of the Alter Rebbe where he says that it's nine lot, which is a measurement that translates into about four ounces, some say even tiny, a little bit more than four ounces. So whatever it is, three ounces is fine. If you have a cup that's four ounces and you want to do the super duper chumrah, then you could do that too. Uh, and yeah, it's basic. It's what? It's no, the basic is eighty. Is three three ounces is enough, is enough for a vest. No, that's the only number of sack. Recently, they found the xaviad. Okay, um, but uh, anyway, um, ideally, you should not use uh, this. Uh, you should use a glass or about not not a disposable cup for the for the four cups of wine. Um, if you have the nice becher, you know, they make the disposable, that's fine. That's okay. 
Um, I'm talking about not a cup that you would just use once and throw it out. Um, that, that cup you might use once and throw it out because it's so cheap and it's easier to throw it out than to wash it. But at least in theory, that's the type of cup that you could use many times. It's not an inherently disposable. Um, <clears throat> okay. In order of preference, how to fulfill the mitzvah of Dal Kais. Now, there is a preference to drink the whole cup and to drink the whole cup in one shot. So better to have a smaller cup, which is four ounces, and be able to finish the whole thing than to take a six or seven or eight ounce cup and not be able to drink the whole thing. Ideally, you should be using... Now, the first preference is to use wine. Um, it doesn't have to be strong alcohol. It could be 7%, 5%. I think you could even get wine these days that's 3%. So in order of preference, you want to have a whole cup of wine and drink the whole thing in one go. You want to make sure if you're reclining... Specifically red? Yeah, it, it, it should be red wine unless white wine is better. If white wine tastes better, then you have white wine, but the customer... Moscato for the woman is fine or not? Uh, yes, if they have... If you, white Moscato has to be white? No, you could get red mascara, enjoy and have red. But if they have, that, that's certainly if they have, the, if they, that's what they're going to drink and the other option is grape juice, then that's certainly better. Can you mix grape juice? And yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so also you want to be careful then you you want to drink the whole cup while you're reclining. So get into reclining, put the cup on the table, get into reclining position and then start drinking. You don't want to start taking the first sip before you're reclining to get down without spilling it. So... You want to make sure the entire cup. So that the 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 the, 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 the first preference, the most ideal way is to have pure wine and to drink the entire cup in one gulp. Next is to have um, only wine and to drink the entire cup, but not in one gulp. You take as much as you can, stop and drink again. The next preference is to have again all wine and to drink most of the um, revius. So to drink, let's say a revius is three ounces, so to drink more than an ounce and a half. And even if you don't finish the cup, that's fine. The next level, level four, is to have just over an ounce and a half in, and having to split that into multiple gulps, but all within the time frame that it takes to drink a revere. So not a gulp and then wait, but, you know, as fast as you can. And then if all of those options are not doable because you're very sensitive to wine, um, so then you could do it all with, uh, with, with grape juice with the exception of the last cup, which the last cup of wine, you have to drink the whole cup because the last cup of wine, you have to say a bracha achreina, an after blessing. And if you're gonna start drinking only half of the cup or part of the cup, there's gonna be many sfekas as to whether or not you are obligated to say a, 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 an after blessing. So even if with the first three cups, you're only gonna drink um, let's say an ounce and a half or two ounces, when it comes to the last cup, you should finish the whole the whole cup. Now, of course, if, if if you can't do only wine, then and mixing wine and grape juice is better than having just grape juice because you have added, you have introduced some alcohol content, which is part of the experience of freedom. Yeah, is, the, is the cup supposed to be overflowing? The Chabad, it doesn't, halakhically, it doesn't have to be as long as it's full, but the Chabad custom is to overflow the cup. Okay, um, after Kiddush, we wash our hands. We wash our hands because before you have anything wet, 
you're supposed to wash your hands. This applies year round. It's nothing to do with Pesach. Whenever you have something wet that's not eaten, eaten with a, that's not the norm to eat with the, with the cutlery, um, you have to wash. So if you have grapes and you wash them, or have an apple and you wash them, or if you dip your crackers in, you know, your pickle juice, then you should be washing. That's year round. We're more strict about it on the Seidenite, but in, intrinsically it's a year round halacha. Um, if it's something which is normal to eat with a fork, then that could be a solution. So if you want to have a pickle, instead of washing or instead of drying it with a napkin, you can eat it with a fork because it's normal to eat pickles with a fork. But you can't take a piece of cake and on a fork and dip it into your coffee and eat it. Um, you do have to wash for that. Now, there are some other workarounds. One option is instead of dipping the cake in the coffee, you can take a bite of cake and then drink some coffee. That's okay. Um, alternatively, uh, and also when we say wet, it only applies to what's called the shiva mashkin, which is uh, water. Uh, we're not going to say all of them, but the common ones are water, wine, and olive oil would count. But for example, if you're having crackers in the herring, you don't need to wash because the vegetable oil that's in the herring is not considered liquid as far as these halachas are concerned. Then you, you wash as if you were washing for like three, once, three times in this hand, three times in that hand, but you don't say bracha. Like you don't say a bracha by bracha, right? So after Kiddush, we wash our chats because we're about to dip our vegetable in the salt water. You don't say a bracha. What if you do say a bracha? Don't. Um, first of all, if you do say a bracha, you probably owe your entire savings account to the coffee fund. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, and you to... so there's a lot of discussion about whether or not you do or don't. And it depends if did you think you were washing for Hamaitzi or not. I'm not going to get into what to do if you did say a bracha. Just make sure you don't say a bracha. If you said baracha to Hashem and you caught yourself, then you could say lamdeni chukacha, which we've discussed in the past. If you say the whole bracha on the Tinnah um just don't do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Then we break the middle matzah in half. One of the reasons for breaking the middle matzah in half is because uh, matzah is lechem oini. One of the re- one of the interpretations of lechem oini is the bread of a poor man who doesn't have a whole loaf, he only has a part of a loaf, so that's why we break the middle matzah in half, and that's, we say the Haggadah, quote, over that piece of matzah, and the time is kicking over here. So these are shmura matzahs, right? Yes. Um, Very important to have handmade shmura matzah for the Seder. You're supposed to make sure that they're not broken already? Yes, so when you start off, the matzah should be complete. You, you, uh, it's, it's a good idea before Pesach to go through all your boxes of matzah and separate them so you have your boxes of what we call shleimas and those are the ones that you'll use for the seder and for all the meals on Pesach when you need lecha mishnah. If you're running short on whole matzahs, so then you can rely on a solution that says if the piece of the matzah that's missing is less than a 48, 148 of the whole loaf, then it's still considered complete. So, you know, in a matzah, you have a little crumb missing at the end, Ideally, you try to look for ones that are actually complete, but if your matzahs are all broken up, um, then that's fine. Um, so you break the middle matzah in half, and then we're going to recite that, and then you put away the bigger half for the Afikoma. And one should, the rabbi often quoted the Arizal, that the Haggadah is to be recited in a loud voice of a Simcha Gadayla and with great rejoicing. Um, Okay, then we ask questions, Manishtana, because the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus is to be done in a, by way of question and answer. So we ask the Manishtana. The custom is that a child should ask the Manishtana, but really the, also everybody should also say the Manishtana, even quietly. 
Um, okay, very important in order to understand, in order to fulfill the mitzvah of recounting the Exodus, you have to understand the Haggadah. Now, there's lots of different Torah and lots of insights and uh, inspirational thoughts that people will be sharing at whatever Seder you had, but in the very basic level, in order to fulfill the obligation of the Seder, you need to understand the simple translation of the words that you're saying. And uh, we're not going to have time to go through now which sections of the Haggadah are indispensable to fulfilling the obligation, but it is the vast majority of it. The vast majority of the Haggadah is important, to under, it's necessary to understand. Um, <clears throat> now, um, also, I should note that just so you give some, we, in the past we went through this with a slideshow and showed how everything matches up, but I'll just say this briefly. The, 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 the primary text of the Haggadah is taking a few verses from Parshas Ki Savai, which are the verses of praise and thanks to God that were recited when somebody brought his Bikurim, his first fruit, to the Beis HaMikdash. And uh, we're expounding them. That means we take each word of those four verses and we say this word refers to this. So when it says that we came to Egypt from Seymaut, few in number. So then we have a whole paragraph elaborating on what does few in number mean? How many were we? What was the story? Then the, they were bad to us. Well, what does it mean? What were they bad to us? Then they made us suffer. What was the suffering, right? We go through every single word. So again, you all have any, you have your Hebrew Haggadahs, your English Haggadahs, but um, it's important to take the time in addition to sharing inspirational and meaningful which can be done later on during the meal. But while you're reciting the Haggadah, to understand what you're saying is indispensable for successful fulfillment of the mitzvahs. Um, okay, here we go. Here I have the measurements of the Kazais. So we're assuming... Just a sheet, one second. Okay, so I mentioned before about how much is a kazais, whether it's a half of an egg or a third of an egg. In cubic centimeters, that translates into a half of egg being 27, 28 cubic centimeters, and a third of an egg being about 17 or 18 cubic centimeters. Now, how does that look when it translates into matzah? Now, it's very difficult to tell you have a half a matzah, a third of a matzah, a quarter of a matzah. The reason is because every matzah is different. Some are thicker and some are thinner. And you'll know some matzahs have six or seven matzahs to a pound, and some companies have 10, 11 matzahs to a pound, and some have anywhere in between. So I can't tell you have how much of a matzah. So what you can do is, there's a few things you can do. One thing you can do is just have a lot of matzah. Some people like eating a lot of matzah. That's totally fine. But if you're somebody who doesn't like having so much matzah and finds it a struggle, then it might be a good idea to get a scale and weigh before Pesach to weigh how much your matzah is and you'll be able to figure it out. Now, to translate um, 27... Okay, so so let, let, let's, let's just, just let's break this down. Um, Bob, would you pass the tissues, please? Let's see, you're throwing scales. Perfect. Okay. So we said before 
that if you have a biblical, if the Torah is requiring you to have a kazayas, we're going to assume it's 27 or 28, let's say 28 cubic centimeters. And if it's Trabonon, we're going to assume it's 18 cubic centimeters. Let's use those numbers. Now, during the night of the Seder, you're going to have a minimum of three olive bulks, three kazayasim of matzah. One at your first matzah opportunity, when you do the mitzvah matzah, another kazayas when you do kairich, the sandwich, and another kazayas when you do the afikoima. The, at the very end of the seder, you have the afikoima. That's three. Ideally, though, it should be five. Why five? Well, the first kazayas of matzah, at least for those men who have their own seder plate, should be two, because there is a dispute as to whether you should take that kazayas of matzah from the top matzah or the middle matzah, so we do both. You take a kezayas from the middle matzah and a kezayas from the top matzah, if possible. So that's going to be two. That only applies if you have your own seder plate. If you don't have your own seder plate, um, and by the way, I, I don't think I mentioned this, the way we do the seder plate according to Chabad is that you have a plate underneath, then the matzah's on top, and the six things that go, go directly on top of the matzah, obviously with a napkin or a bag or something in between, but the plate is underneath the matzah. It's not on top of the matzah. It's underneath the six things. Um, Right, so plate goes on the bottom, then the three matzahs on top with, the, you know, dividing them with napkins or with a matzah cover, whatever you have. And then on top of that goes the, the you know, the six. Well, all the men have that. So the Chabad custom is that every man over by mitzvah has their own one. It's not necessary, strictly speaking, only one person at the Seder has to. But the Chabad custom is that all men over by mitzvah have their own one. Okay, so that's already, they, we pre-make that. You pre-prepare all the ingredients, but it's it's set up at the seder. When you start before you start the seder, you stand and you put the six things out. You put in the matzah, and then you. Be okay, if three matzahs, and then you have a bunch of bowls with everything in it. No, the matzahs also we do. We you have a box of all the shlemas, and then you you start off yelich. We go from bottom to top. First, you put in the yisrael, the bottom matzah, then the middle matzah, then the top matzah, and then you put. So that should be done sort of at at night before you start the seder. But, okay, right. but but you could prepare a whole bowl of charesis and everybody will take a little bit and put it onto his seder plate, etc. Expect that to delay your seder of a half hour. Yes. Okay. okay, but should the women take from the men's seder plate or do you make, they take... So it depends on your ratio of how many men and women you have. But um, and depends on how much you put on your shader plate. But the women also have to have to have a kazayas and have to have the same measurement. So if you have enough spare on your shader plate, you can give them. And otherwise, they just take from the box. You, when when it comes to the first kazayas of matzah, when you're doing the first matzah eating, you should give your wife or the women at your seder at least a little bit of matzah that was in front of you, so matzah over which you recited the haggadah. And then, if that's less than a kazayas, they can compensate the, to to make it a kazayas by taking some more matzah from the box. And the same is for the afikoimon that you're going to have your big your bigger half of the yachats which you then broke into five for the afikoimon you're going to give a little piece of that to your wife and she's going to add more matzah from the box to make sure she has a kazais now for the sorry yeah okay so for the first kazais of matzah for those who have their own seder plate ideally should be having two kazaisim one from the top kazaisim is the plural of kazais should be having two kazaisim one from the top matzah one from the middle matzah if you don't have your own seder plate one kazais is, is enough for kairich everybody only uses one kazais for the sandwich for the afikoiman ideally everybody even those who don't have their own seder plate ideally should be having two kazaisim um one to commemorate the carbon Pesach, because we don't have a carbon Pesach, so we eat a kezayis of matzah to commemorate that, and another kezayis to commemorate the matzah that was eaten with the carbon Pesach. You know, that's like the, the joke of the guy who who was stuck on the desert islands Friday night, 
and all he had was a bottle of vodka. So for every dish, he took a shot, and for the challah, and for the salad, and for the dip, and for the fish, and for the crane, and for the chicken soup, and the croutons, and the meat, and the kugel, and the dessert. And then when he finished his whole meal, he says, oh, I forgot to say l'chaim between the fish and the meat. So, <laughs> so we have a, a chazais of matzah um, for the afikoyma to commemorate the carbon Pesach, and another chazais of matzah, if possible, to commemorate the matzah that was eaten with the 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 the, the, the It says that if it's too hard for you to eat two kazaisim, um, then you should have one kazais for the afikoyma, and then you have in mind that whichever one it should be, it will be you know if it's for the carbon Pesach, it's a carbon Pesach. So for your first breaking of the matzah. Would have the first the half basically would go to me, and then I would bring another half off mostly from the top. Well, one second, we'll, we'll get to how much right now. So, again, we've we've stated that uh, for a biblical kazayas, we're going to have we're going to treat the kazayas to be 28 cubic centimeters, for a rabbinic kazayas, we're going to treat it to be 18. Now, the only biblical kazayas that you're going to eat on the Seder nights is the first kazayas of matzah, everything else is rabbinic. Now, even the first kazayas of matzah, the, there's certainly no biblical requirement to have one kazayas in the middle, one and one kazayas in the top. So if you take, if, let's say, it's a woman who's just eating a, one kazayas for the first kazayas, then she has to make sure she's having her 28 cubic centimeters. Um, but if you have your own seder plate and you're taking a middle matzah and a top matzah to have a kazayas of each, then you only need to have the smaller, this 18 cubic centimeters kazayas of each, because together, 18 plus 18 is more than 28. I'm not going to get into exactly how much it is. I'm not going to embarrass my skills, but uh, no, I'm a rabbi. I know my 18 times tables. So, uh, <laughs> so um, right? But, uh, <clears throat> so, when, again, now exactly how much 28 and 18 cubic centimeters translates into matzah depends on the consistency, the flour water ratio. But basically, it's going to be about 18, 17, 18 grams for the big one. And different measurements come out to anywhere between 9 and 14 for the small one. If you want that in ounces, the biggest kazayas you're possibly going to have um, of matzah is probably going to be a little bit less than 0.6 of an ounce, right? So if anybody ever tells you that you need to eat uh, an ounce of matzah for kazayas, um, that's not true. Now, what, where does, so, so, so in, 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 in actual thing, an average matzah, uh, a, a, thir a third of a matzah is usually much, much more than you need. Uh, a quarter of a matzah or even a, a sixth of a matzah, uh, again, depending on the exact thickness of the matzah, is enough. Now, the, there is a Chabad custom, there is a custom that many have to have a lot more than that. There's different reasons why there's such a custom. Reb Chaim Noah, basically, who was, Reb Chaim Noah, who was a very influential Chabad Rav in Yerushalayim in the previous century, um, who was very influential in determining exactly all the shirim, etc., he did not have the proper measuring tools to um, measure exactly the the, the the volume versus the weight of matzah. So he said, okay, well, the weight of matzah is certainly not more than the weight of water. So have so, so just like with water, 28 cubic centimeters is 28 grams, which is an ounce. So have an ounce of matzah, and then it's, for, it's certainly not more than water, so if you have an ounce of matzah, you're for sure good. Now, um, nowadays, we, it's very easy to measure these things, 
and uh, nobody nobody but nobody claims that an ounce of matzah is a kazayas, an ounce of matzah is most likely almost three kazayasim. Um, so if you like matzah and you're good at it and you can eat a lot and, you know, good to hate, eat a lot and it's probably, probably a good thing. But there's no reason to, and to, to make yourself suffer and certainly no reason to make your wife and kids suffer. Um, nobody should be, if you give your wife a kazayas for the first kazayas of matzah, you give her a third of a matzah, you're already giving her too much. And for the Koyrech and the Afikoyman, um, you give a quarter of a matzah, you're giving her too much. Because those are the rabbinic ones, they're even less. So again, if she likes matzah and she thinks, but the, 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 the big, they are not, yeah, okay, enough said. Yes. That's the first one where you have the top of the one. Okay. Um, if you really have some somebody who's sensitive to matzah for whatever reason, and it's a big deal, take a scale before Yom Tif, weigh 10 grams of matzah, and that's enough. 10 grams is probably going to be about you could probably get five or six kazesim out of an average matzah. And that's, again, for somebody who's struggling and only wants to eat the bare minimum to fulfill the mitzvah, whether it's because they're not good with gluten or whatever other reasons there are, then that could be enough. Now, the amount of matzah you eat has to be done in the Kedei Achilles Pras, in the time that it takes to eat a pras. This is is exactly how much a pras is, what? This is the tough part. If you're uh, to do a so right. So again, right. But you but you don't have to. In other words, a pras is different opinions how long the achilas pras is, which range basically from three to nine minutes. But if you decided to take a very big kazais and you're going to eat a whole ounce of matzah, and to try and eat that ounce in three minutes is a bit. Try just make sure you're eating, you know, a half of an ounce or a third of an ounce in the three minutes, and the rest of it eat within the nine minute time frame, and you know, then you're for sure good. Yeah, that's another way that the time frame only starts when you start swallowing. So if you start chewing before, before, and you don't swallow, again, it's really not necessary. It's really not. I know people make a big deal out of it. It's just not necessary. Try it. Don't try it now because we don't eat matzah. But you will see. If you if you just eat matzah regularly, you will have a kazayas in less than three minutes. You might not have an ounce in three minutes. That might take you five or six or seven minutes. But to have your first kazayas of matzah, which is not a kazayas, just the size of a kazayas, yeah, is not going to take you more than three minutes, just in regular eating. Again, I'm not talking people who have, uh, you heard he mentioned the rabbit didn't have teeth, and the regular, normal, healthy person shouldn't, it just doesn't take that long. Okay, it's almost a thing. Uh, a few other things to mention. First of all, I have one bookmark here, which I didn't get to, so that's what it says here. I did that one. I did that one too. Okay. I've covered all my bookmarks. Uh, let's see if I have anything more on the notebooks. Okay. Um, oh, all right. Now, so the Rebbe's custom was that we don't have any salt, even though usually we have salt with our bread or with our matzah. But the, the matzah, that's part of the mitzvah, you don't have any salt. Um, but the Rebbe's personal custom was at the end of the eating of the matzah, meaning after the koirich sandwich, before he ate the egg, which is part of Shulchan Eirich, he took a small piece of matzah and dipped it into salt, which he had there on his kaira. Sorry? Again? 
No, dip it in the, he poured salt into onto his matzah cover before he ate the egg and took a small piece of matzah and dipped it into there. Not only that, don't tell anybody about this and certainly don't tell people who have OCD about gabrocks, but actually during the first part of the meal, during the fish course, the Rebbe would also periodically, not together with, not in the same mouthful as fish, but the Rebbe would eat fish and then um, and then have a piece of matzah sort of spread out, which halakhically actually makes a lot of sense because like we spoke about this about the meal on the chametz, the kamil on Shabbos of Pesach. But the reason why all the other food is, <laughs> you don't make a brach on it, is because it's tuffle, it's secondary to the bread. If you're saying, oh, we're not doing a brach, once we start serving food, we don't have any more matzah at all, then that could be questionable. It's okay because you have matzah at the end of the meal, and during the rest of Pesach also, it's probably a good idea to have at least a small piece of matzah at the end of the meal. But I'm just sharing what the Rebbe's custom was. You can do whatever you want. Um, it is totally perfectly permissible to drink wine during the meal. That means we don't drink wine between the first and second cup or between the third and the fourth cup, but between the second and the third cup, which is when the meal is, then you could drink as much wine as you want. But it's customary that we don't say l'chaim on that night on any wine because we don't want to give significance to any wine other than the four cups of wine. We want to make sure that it doesn't look like we're adding anything else significant. Um, what else? Um, bum, bum. If you um, just got a couple things that I had here written for um, for Erev Pesach, um, first of all, let's make sure you have you're not allowed to rip silver foil or plastic tablecloth or anything like that on Shabbos the Yamtiv. So make sure you have, if you need that prepared from before, you can even buy and draw the pre cut silver foil things. Um, also, if you are going to be eating your Shabbos meal outdoors, be careful. Not a good idea to have your meal over the grass because things could spill on the grass and that's a problem to water your grass on Shabbos. So um, if you are going to be eating over the grass, I guess just be very careful. I think it's not you're not supposed to eat over the grass. Um, okay, any specific questions or things? I, I think I've covered all my notes, uh, more or less. That, um, some people who can't tolerate grape juice or wine um, yeah, so usually the reason they can't tolerate grape juice or wine is because it has um, sulfites, I think it's called, and it is possible to get... My wife is very sensitive, let's say, to, to even sweet anything in wine. So she's got dry wine. Even dry wine she can't have. So what, what has she done in past years? So we, we've asked that and uh, done tea. Okay, so that's a unique situation, which, uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's, that's a rare. Usually most people can find some type of wine or grape juice that they're able to handle. And the Gemara brings a story of the Amira who used to have migraines all the way till Shavuos from the wine by the four cups of the Seder. And there's a discussion as to whether or not that, that means that that obligates us, that we should do that even if we have migraines. But um, if it was you, then I might tell you to do that, but I'm not going to tell your wife to do that. So. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah. All right. Okay. I like your honey. I don't know how what your definition of five because uh, I used to go by, but I like your definition of five minutes. <laughs>